Welcome to The Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. We'd like to welcome back to the show Sal Bruno, Chief Investment Officer at Index IQ, a family of factor-based ETFs, part of the New York Life's Investment Management Program. Sal, welcome back to Strategic Investor Radio. Thank you, Charlie. It is great to be here. So, Sal, uh, you're out of NYU with an MBA, uh, went to Cornell undergrad. You came to Index IQ from Deutsche Asset Management, where you managed about $6 billion. And at Asset IQ, you're responsible for the firm's investment strategies for ETFs. And you folks have absolute return strategies, real asset strategies, plus the typical equity, fixed income, international, etc. ETFs. Over 20 ETFs, totaling over $4.5 billion assets under management. So give us a brief, a brief background of yours, will you, Sal? Yes, yeah, so I joined Index IQ back in 2007 and was one of the early uh, folks to join the firm. In fact, the firm was a startup company at that time. Um, it was a really interesting time with no clients, uh, no products, and, and no revenue. So definitely. Uh, <laughs> you were a brave man. <laughs> I was, yes. And as a matter of fact, my wife had, uh, was just about giving birth to our fourth child. So it was, it was an interesting time to make a move like that. But fortunately, it all worked out well. And I joined Index IQ really because I thought that the intersection of alternative investments and hedge funds was really a great place to be. So I was starting to see I'd come from sort of a mutual fund background. And with the rise of ETF assets in the early 2000s, they were really beginning to, uh, to, take, to get my attention. And I really thought that ETFs, given their lower cost, their tax efficiency, and their structural advantages over many mutual funds, would be a great place where I thought the industry was moving next. Couple that with the experience of a lot of hedge funds coming out of the 2000 and 2002 uh, TMT crisis and really how they proved their metal during that time period. Um, I thought those were two of the more interesting developments going on during that time period. And then I came across Index IQ, which was trying to democratize alternative investments, so to bring some of these hedge fund strategies out in ETF form. And I said this would be a great opportunity to leverage some of my skills and background in terms of quantitative research and apply it to really where I thought uh, the, the industry was heading. So left Deutsche Asset Management in 2007, joined Index IQ, you know, went through a growth stage, got all of our products out. About three years ago, um, Index IQ was acquired by New York Life, so we're now a New York Life Investment Management uh, company. We're basically the ETF division within New York Life Investment Management. And we now run over $4.5 billion uh, total AUM, as you have mentioned. So, Sal, uh, tell us, uh, what are the common core competencies that you see existing in the factor ETFs that you offer? So I think the core competencies try to get down to uh, what are the key drivers of return and how can you leverage those in a systematic rules-based way. So I think a big part of the attraction is the fact that we're able to deliver these in an ETF form in a systematic way, partly to take advantage of the tax efficiency that you get with ETFs, but also to deliver a return stream that people can count on and rely upon. We try and look for um, factors that uh, have, have 
thorough academic research behind it, as well as empirical research to show that they not only have the academics vetted it, uh, but they actually also work in practice. And so we look for things like some of the traditional value factors, uh, momentum factors, things of that nature that have proven that metal over time. So it sounds like a combination of uh, fundamental as well as technical, as well as quantitative analysis um, to come up with what you do? It can definitely run the span or span across all three of those um, areas. In fact, one of the ETFs, two of the ETFs we came out with last year that we had partnered with NASDAQ and Chaikin Analytics on really do cover the realm of those factors. So it has valuation factors, it has growth factors, it has technical and sentiment factors. And I think the really interesting thing about the technical and the sentiment factors are that they give a complete view of the security by all of the different stakeholders. So you have uh, really four uh, major stakeholders when it comes to a security. You have the buyers, people who are investing in the stocks. So you want to look at their behavior in terms of asset flow, asset flow money flow, um, volume of shares that they're buying. Another major stakeholder would be the sellers of those securities, so the short sellers. And obviously they're going to do a lot of in-depth research on these shares before they take a short position as they have um, even more risk. Um, if, this, if the security price should climb. Then the other two major stakeholders would be index analysts or research analysts who are basically re- rating these stocks and putting earnings estimates out. And then a, a major constituency, a major uh, interested party would be the insiders, the, co- the management of the company. What are they doing? Are they buying or selling their own shares? And so if you have different metrics to, uh, to capture that, it gives you a very complete view, and then you overlay that with the value and the growth we think is a pretty uh, interesting way of, of doing security selection. And then you, you wrap that in the ETF wrapper and you get all of those benefits. So why don't you tell us, Sal, uh, one or two of your ETFs that are that you would uh, describe as among the more unique ETFs that you offer in terms of, not necessarily in market, but in terms of uh, factor factor analysis uh, and, and just kind of tell us about them and uh, you know are, are they long and short are they only long I know you have absolute return strategies so you know obviously there uh, it would appear that they're long or short uh, so so tell us about one or two of those will you? Yes yeah, so the one that I, I find very interesting and in fact many investors have found interesting this fund is almost uh, over tripled in size over the last year and a half um, is our merger arbitrage ETF which goes back to our early days where we're trying to democratize alternative investments um, when we first started up Index IQ. So we had done a lot of research and a lot of reading into looking at, is there a way to create a rules-based process to do merger arbitrage? And, of course, there are going to be a lot of uh, people who say, no, you can't do that. It depends upon the selection of the actual deals and, and looking into them. We actually set, set up a set of rules that tells us which deals to go into, how long to hold on to them, when to exit those positions, and how we should put on a hedge program. So we built that out as an ETF in 2009, and I think it's a very unique type of a vehicle out there. It's one of the few that's actually done it and done it successfully and raised assets and put up um, a track record, sort of consistent with where you think that a a merger arbitrage strategy return series should be. And so what it does is it, it applies a systematic set of rules at the beginning of each month to look at all of the announced deals. So so companies that are announced as targets of an acquisition by some other entity. And it goes through our screening process and says, these are the deals that we want to own in the portfolio that meet certain criteria. So, for example, we would need to have the acquirer having to buy at least 50% of the outstanding shares of the target to make sure it's big enough to move the share price. We also look at where the stock was trading, where the stock uh, was trading before the deal was announced, where it's trading after the deal was announced, as well as the announcement price. 
and there are certain scenarios that we'll take and certain scenarios that we'll avoid. We do try and take as many as possible, but there are certain that ones that we avoid as well. And then we basically put on a liquidity-based uh, weighting scheme to ensure that we're getting as much liquidity built into the ETF as we can. Um, so it basically looks at a very short-term measure of liquidity and similar to a market cap calculation for determining the weight, we actually use dollars traded um, over a very short window of time to kind of get an estimate of where the liquidity is, and that drives where the position sizes are. The short position, though, is actually a little bit different than a typical merger arb strategy would do it. We actually do it by, instead of shorting the, uh, the acquirer in the ratio to sort of lock in the price, which is how a typical merger arb would do it, we tend to do it so you're doing it at the sector level of the acquirer. So we're allowing some of that, the variation in the stock price of the acquirer. Should it go up in price, we actually are participating in some of that. But we try and put a floor under that by shorting that their sector. So if there's a common factor that's driving that sector, if that should happen to fall in price and we're shorting the sector, we'll have some sort of a cushion on the downside there. So a good example would be one energy company buying another one. If oil prices should fall, naturally the price of the acquirer would fall as well. But by shorting a sector uh, ETF that's in the energy sector, you're trying to provide some of that downside cushion. And so it's given us what we think is a pretty interesting uh, risk-return profile that investors seem to be uh, taking to. We also deliver it in an ETF wrapper, so it's been extremely tax-efficient, which we think is a tremendous benefit for a strategy that's naturally going to be high turnover given the nature of how the strategy is being run. Yeah, well, congratulations. You, you guys are taking on a tiger by the tail. Uh, you know, Merger Arb is, is not for uh, wilting wallflowers who are, want to do uh, index or shadow index investing here. So uh, uh, congratulations. Uh, t tell us, Sal, you guys are in the, the factor-based uh, investing uh, world of ETFs. What misperceptions do you see by investors and advisors in the world of factor-based investing? Well, I think when we think about misperceptions, I think a lot of it gets down to a, a recency uh, bias that investors tend to have, that they think that the most recent performance or recent events that they've seen are likely to persist out into the foreseeable future. In the case of thinking about alternatives, I think that recency bias is actually exacerbated because it's gone on for a period of time. So if you look at where the equity markets have been, so since they made a bottom basically on March 11th, of 2009 up through yesterday, the S&P 500, the index is up over 18% per year on a compounded basis. That's about 300 and, over 360% cumulative return, which is astonishing. You, you overlay onto that what we've seen in terms of long-term bonds, in terms of uh, yields, uh, where we've been sort of in a secular or steady declining interest rate environment for about 36 years now, 37 years. Um, and so you get this this sort of thought process that, okay, I just need to own stocks and bonds, and I can do a 60-40 mix, and I will be fine. Right. Um, at some point in time, given valuations and given that interest rates have actually started to move up off their low point that we saw in 2016, I think it leads to the importance of having some alternatives in the portfolio to cushion for when those inevitable downturns do tend to happen. You know, so I think it's the... Go ahead. Yeah, please. I was just going to say, I think it's the recency bias. Um, in this case, it's a little bit more than recent. It's going back a number of years. But it, I think it lulls people a little bit into a false sense of security. Yeah, it does. And when, when people uh, raise those issues, I remind them that uh, between 1960, the 1966 stock market highs were not exceeded until 1982. And yeah, which is a tremendous period of time. Yeah, 16, 16 years. years. And, and if you're at retirement or retired or even close... Uh, 
that was a long dry spell. Absolutely, and that's something that we talk to clients a lot about is if you're young, absolutely the risk is there to be taken because potentially you'll achieve better returns. But as you get closer to actually needing the money, um, the risk that you have is if you suffer a downturn in the performance and you need that money, you basically are forced to liquidate on unfavorable terms, and you're basically locking in the loss. You don't have the time uh, to ride it out and try and recover. So, you know, if you're doing those drawdowns and you were in the you know, retirement period during that 16-year cycle, that would be a very difficult time. Um, so that's why we think that, you know, trying to, to smooth that ride is an important piece of, an important objective for every uh, client and advisor. So other than recency bias, uh, well, what are the major objections that uh, you seem to hear and that, uh, you know, your, your, your staff seem to hear uh, in, in getting into factor-based uh, ETF investing? Well, I think there's some folks out there who think um, that, that passive or index-based methodologies are, are not able to really deliver upon the promise. This is something we came across very early on in our days with Index IQ when we were putting out a merger arb, an index-based merger arb example, or an index uh, rules-based hedge fund replication, where a lot of conversations we had was, okay, prove to me that this works. I don't believe that. Or yes, I've seen the research. I've read your papers. I want to see live results to make sure that it works. So I think there's a healthy degree of skepticism um, that people have had on the alt side, especially the liquid alt side in the ETF world, and to some extent, probably a little lesser extent on the factor-based stuff. Um, where people say, yes, but I need active management because of these types of environments. And so we're trying to sort of split that middle ground between pure passive, where people are paying very low costs, and we know that passive has performed very well, and the eight, over 18% annualized return for the S&P since 2009. So people are saying, well, why should I even go out to uh, ex- extend myself a little bit on the cost spectrum to try to get a little bit excess return because passive has done so well? Or should I just go to an active manager and go to really concentrated risk? Um, So it's really trying to find that middle ground there and and trying to demonstrate the value add of paying a little bit more than pure passive and for potentially getting some of the uh, the active type returns within the uh, passive wrapper. Okay, so so tell us, who are the clients or buyers, as best as you you can determine, of uh, of your ETFs, and, and why do they buy your ETFs? So I think that we have a pretty good split. Um, many of it is, most of it is retail oriented, um, and it's a pretty good split between independent advisors or registered investment advisors, and then those who work at some of the larger wirehouse channels. Um, so there's a nice split between those different constituencies. And I think that the reason people are buying our strategies, and we have probably more strategy, more assets into some of our alternatives than we do our factor-based products, that they have longer track records. Um, I think people are buying them because we have made some headway in terms of demonstrating performance track record, showing people that this stuff can actually work. And then also, I think we've made some headway in terms of uh, showing people the importance of, of having some of these alts in their portfolio, especially to, to cover some of the more difficult time periods. I mean, we've gone through over the last several years, even though we're in this sustained uh, bull market for equities, we've gone through a couple of pretty tough periods of time um, over the last several years. We just had one at the beginning of this year, in April, um, yeah. sorry, February, yeah. uh, where we saw the S&P go down by 10%. And looking at something like a merger arbitrage that captured less than 15% of that downside, I think that reinforces the importance of having alts. It was a similar story if we go back to the beginning of 2016 when oil prices were collapsing. In that case, merger arb was actually positive while the S&P was down over 10%. So I think that those types of events have moved the needle for some folks to say, I really should get some of these alts into the portfolio. 
So, Salah, let's ask you a, a couple of, uh, of generic questions here. First of all, what would you say is the best advice uh, you ever heard, read, or received about investing? I think discipline is the key. So early on in my career, as I was trying to, uh, to establish this sort of a, my investment methodology, um, I had a, a, a boss at the time who basically said, you must be disciplined. Do your research. Uh, do your due diligence. Have, make sure you're, you're selecting the best strategy you can. Um, and then execute that strategy with tremendous discipline. Don't let emotion get in the way. So it's very easy when you're looking at things going haywire and, and a lot of news um, and a lot of noise, quite honestly. Just try and filter as much of that out as possible and stick to your original de- thesis. What is your discipline and why did you buy something and why do you expect that to continue to work? You know, Sal, if I had a nickel for every time I've heard that in the 300-plus interviews from this show, <laughs> that seems to be the most ubiquitously accepted statement in the world of, uh, of investing by investment managers. You've got to have a disciplined approach and stay with it. And, uh, it but, but obviously it's hard to do because we're all talking about it here. Exactly, and I was just going to make that point. It's a lot easier said than done. I think one of the great things about being an index-based shop is that discipline is embedded in our rules. So we, we design our indices as best we can to meet the objectives that we, we are trying to, to solve, the problems we're trying to solve for. And our rules really enforce that we must have our discipline going forward because they're written down. We will do certain things in certain environments, and this is how the fund will be rebalanced and restructured. So really for, enforces that discipline, which is something I found really attractive about going to an index shop. I'm sure. So the second question we'd like to ask all of our guests is, other than your three children, what keeps you awake at night? <laughs> uh, my biggest fear, and much like my children, is I feel very responsible for all of our strategies. And if they ever go through a period of underperformance, which every strategy does, it's, it's just by nature, so they right. will always underperform for some period right. of time. I take that personally, and I feel very. I feel like I need to, even though I can't do anything. I'm looking for: Do I understand what happened? Is something broken, or do I just need to maintain that discipline um, and, and keep moving forward? So, I always want to have the best investment experience for all of our shareholders, and and during a period of time, even if it's just sort of natural variation, when something's not working, that could be difficult, and that keeps me up at night. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, I think all of us in in the world of investing can uh, can relate to that. So the last question uh, we like to ask all of our guests is, what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners? So I'm going to go a little old school on that, and I actually have two books that I think are, are terrific reads, and a little bit older. Um, the first one would be uh, Security Analysis by Graham and Dodd, going back to 1934. Oh, yeah. Because I think it laid out the foundations for a lot of the factor uh, research and factor-based products that we see in existence today can be traced back uh, through different iterations back to the, the Graham and Dodd way of looking at things. The other book that I think is extremely important is Portfolio Selection by Harry Markowitz, which came out in 1959. To me, it was one of the seminal pieces of work that was ever done in the investment management industry because... We've always known, since basically since the beginning of time, um, that diversification works and don't put all your eggs in one basket. He quantified that in a meaningful way, in a, a really simple, intuitive, easy-to-grasp way. Um, and in a world, in investing, where there are very few hard truths in the world, that's one thing that you can really hang your head on, that correlation matters, covariance matters. Um, you can debate, you know, 
in terms of mean variance optimization, how well that actually works in practice, and then all that's related to the quality of the inputs. But there's no disputing that the math is what the math is. And if you have a certain correlation and covariance structure, you will get a certain amount of risk. So in a world where we can't get a whole lot of truth, that's one truth that you can sort of anchor or hang your hat on. Yeah, and uh, one of my favorite sayings is diversification is the only free lunch in investing. Absolutely. And uh, so, so that's great. Well, thank you for, for both of those. Uh, so for those who would like to know more, where can they go? For, for, for more information on our ETFs, they can go on the web to iqetfs.com, or they could also call 888-474-7725. Okay, and I can tell uh, the folks uh, who may not have been to the sites before that you have a lot of good educational information on that site. So whoever uh, is in charge of that is uh, doing a good job of uh, getting information out on ETFs and educational material for, um, for investors and advisors. So final words for our listeners here, Sal. Yeah, so going into the beginning of the year, we're coming off of a very, uh, basically historically low volatility year in 2017 when you look at the U.S. equity market. Um, we went back over 90 years and looked at uh, maximum drawdown on an intra-year basis, as well as the standard deviation of returns on a year-by-year basis. Last year was the second lowest year for standard deviation in the last 90 years. It was also the second smallest uh, drawdown we had ever seen. So I think, talk about recency bias, I think there was a, a definite false sense of security there. And at the beginning of the year, we were doing our outlook. The one thing, the tagline we were saying was, buy the umbrella before it starts to rain. Think about alts, think about what your diversification strategy while the times are still good, don't wait until the market's down 10%, and then you're starting to think, well, now what should I be doing? So be prepared and be diverse. Sal, thank you very much. Uh, great advice. We really appreciate you taking a few minutes uh, to share with us and our audience today, and our best wishes to you and uh, to Index IQ for your continued success. Thank you, Charlie. Appreciate it. Again, we've been talking with Sal Bruno, Chief Investment Officer at Index IQ, a family of exchange-traded funds focused on unique investment opportunities and factor investing. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio. You can contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com and go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright wishing you all an enjoyable week and productive investing. Strategic Investor Radio is a production of OC Talk Radio and is provided for educational purposes only. Content of this program and the views of the guests should not be considered as recommendations by OC Talk Radio or investment advice from the host Charlie Wright or any other entity attached to this production. Investors should always consult qualified financial, investment, tax, or legal professionals prior to investing.